Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. I'm Alan Smith with my co-host, of course, Donna Smith, and thanks for joining us this evening for our show, which is entitled The Trucking Evolution, What Happened to the American Trucker? And many of you, I think, may be asking yourself that very same question. What has happened to the American Trucker? What happened to the time before deregulation when being a professional driver was a sought-after, respected, and well-paid profession? I think that, you know, the amount of frustration is at a level... Uh, I personally have, haven't seen in quite a while, and I've seen a lot. The, the amazing thing is many of the problems drivers face today are the same as they were in the 80s, things like all the non-driving tasks, such as detention time and pre- and post-trips that drivers aren't paid for, uh, even the difficulty finding adequate, safe parking in certain areas throughout the country. So, and I mean, of course, there's also the CDL training schemes, the hours of service, lease purchase scams by motor carriers, and, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. The difference now is that many of these same issues have become more elaborate in design, and the regulations seem to be more and more directed at the driver and their ability to earn a decent living. And as a matter of fact, wages haven't risen significantly in years, and yet the cost of living has continued to skyrocket, as all of us, you know, very well know. Uh, You know, right now I guess I'd say that the ELD is probably the number one most controversial issue going on right now. So how did did trucking evolve from one of the best-paying and respected careers to one of the worst and least respected? So most will say that deregulation played a major part, and with more carriers entering the market, there were, uh, you know, much more competition. So the mega carriers had to get creative and come up with different business models for profit. Much of that included how drivers were utilized in that model. So this this evening we have have with us two special guests. First, we have the honor to have with us Steve Vaselli, a sociologist and longtime researcher of transportation, including truck drivers and the trucking industry, and his pursuit to find out why truckers work so hard accepting poor conditions and low wages along with the question of how long-haul trucking went from being one of the best to one of the toughest blue-collar jobs in the United States. And these questions led him to leave his graduate student lifestyle in sociology, and he actually obtained his CDL in order to investigate the professional trucker's life and obstacles firsthand. And he said, and I quote, you can't get a sense of what truck driving is like just talking to people. You have to live it. 
And during his years of research, along with his time over the road, that experience resulted in his book, The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. And I would urge everybody to get this book and read it. It's, 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 it's an eye-opener. It's, it's just a great book. The link to his book is in the show, in the show um, description. And I would urge everybody to get that book. Mr. Baselli is presently a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania who studies work, labor markets, and public policy related to freight transportation, automa automation, and energy. And he also holds current positions as a senior fellow at the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy. He is a Robert and Penny Family Pavilion Scholar and a lecturer in the Department of Sociology, and he also consults and has been an expert witness in court cases. Our next guest is a longtime friend and fellow truck driver advocate Desiree Wood, president and CEO of The Real Women in Trucking, and Desiree has taken her real-life experiences as a driver and created The Real Women in Trucking organization, assisting new drivers as they enter trucking and guiding them against the pitfalls of entering the trucking industry. And Desiree has hosted many events, including the Queen of the Road Awards, uh, sponsored by Road Pro Brands, uh, the Ask a Lawyer event at the Great American Trucking Shows, and is now starting a new organization to help drivers in dire circumstance while out over the road. So uh, let's take a quick break and hear from one of our trusted sponsors. You know these guys. We've been uh, touting them for quite a long time. A bit, I'm a big fan of theirs. When you get a truck from these guys, you won't have to worry about being taken for a ride, I guarantee you. So hang tight. We'll be right back. We've got a great show for you this evening. So uh, hang in there. We'll, we'll be uh, right back. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. All right, 
right, welcome back, everyone, and welcome to my guests, Steve Vaselli and Desiree Wood. And uh, Donna and I thank you both for joining us tonight. Tonight's show is The Trucking Evolution, What Happened to the American Trucker. Uh, Desiree, welcome back. How you been? Oh, I've been great. Thanks for having me on. Hi, everyone. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. <laughs> and, uh, welcome. <laughs> Haven't got to everybody. I see Iowa, Texas, Idaho, Oklahoma, uh, some others I haven't seen. I'm working on that. And uh, uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Glad you could make it. It's it's great to be on, Alan. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you what, Steve, I'll I'll, I'll start with you. And Donna, you're sitting over there quiet as a mouse. You can jump in too, you know. Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Hi, Desiree. Hi, I'm going to put myself hey, on mute while you talk. All right. So, Steve, I'll start with you. First, uh, again, thank you for being on our show. I know you're very busy, and we appreciate you taking the time to share your research and experiences in the trucking industry with our listeners tonight. And, and especially thank you for your book, which is a, a tremendous insight to the life of a trucker. Uh, I, I've just enjoyed it. I haven't completed it yet. I start my vacation next week. I'm, I'm planning on doing that. But... We'd like tonight to start out by, first of all, uh, telling the audience again that you did actually leave your life sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. You got your CDL, and you went out there and got the hands-on experience as an OTR trucker. So if you, could, if you could just share a bit about that decision to go OTR and then describe the most profound impressions that you've uh, come to realize during that experience. Yeah, well, you know, I, I knew just from uh, having read a little bit about the industry and, and talking to a few drivers that I had to go out and experience the, the life for myself. I, I mean, my my experience with, with trucking up until that point had been, you know, through my father who was actually ran a truck scale at a, at a factory. And so he had, you know, a bunch of friends who were drivers and, you know, being around that scale as a kid, I saw kind of the end point of, of driving, you know, like when drivers arrived right. at their destination at that factory I saw. And so, you know, I heard the stories of kind of life on the road. And then um, in, my, in my college years, I worked for United Van Line as a loader, um, oh. you know, and rode with some drivers, you know, short, relatively short distances. So I knew enough to know that, you know, the job was hard, and, you know, sometimes isolated and then I needed to do it. And so that was really what prompted the decision. Then, of course, you know, I, I went in through a CDL mill and what it was. Um, didn't know much beyond, you know, what I had seen as a kid and then what I read from a couple books. And, of course, those books were, were out of date. You know, when I started driving in 2005, you know, the, the last book I read was working with stuff that, you know, data that had been collected in the 80s, early 90s. Um, and as you know, as I'm sure your listeners know, there's just been a tremendous amount of change in the industry from, from that time until 2005, uh, from mid-90s to 2005. And I can't hear you. Are you there? I am. Am I breaking up? Okay, we missed about 10 seconds of that last. Okay. So I I knew that, you know, I needed to do, to experience what 
newer drivers were going through. And then that gave me the, the basis to compare it to experienced drivers, which I did through through interviews. But that being on the road, new to be married guy, you know, thinking about having kids, you know, all the, all the things that people do in life. Other than okay, you're you're breaking up a lot. I don't know uh, what you're calling from. Are you calling from a landline, or are you on a speakerphone, or? I'm on a I'm on a cell phone. Um, let me take my headphones off. Okay. Is that better? Uh, well, well, we'll give it a try. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I don't hear you. Critical. Yeah. Yeah, we're having trouble hearing you. There's a lot of just a lot of breakup. Uh, um. I am in area, um, which my cell phone says it's all right, but uh, maybe it's. Are you stationary? I am. I am stationary. Um, sorry. Let me see if I can get somewhere where I get a little better reception. Okay. Heard you there. <laughs> That's good. Whatever you were doing then, that's good. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, so if you can hear me now, that's that's how uh, that's how I got started on the road, and then that experience of having driven was really the foundation for everything that came after it. You know that w- that was the initial starting point, and then you know then I went out and I learned from other drivers. You know, interviewing over a hundred in in the initial part of of my research to really try to get us you know, how experience varied, different segments varied, how different drivers saw it. Um, and the book came out of that, you know, that what I learned through those issues, um, you know, drivers really pointed me towards the big issues very quickly. And then I spent, you know, a lot of time, you know, years trying to understand and unpack the history behind, you know, what, what those drivers happened with, you know, the unions, what had happened and, and all those sorts of issues, what was happening with owner-operators at that time, which ended up being the big focus of the book. Right, right. Well, I I personally found um, that part of the book, um, I mean, the whole book is awesome, uh, but just learning about the the way things were run back then, I mean, I know drivers these days, you say the word union, and it's like an awful curse word or something. But during those times, the Teamsters and the ATA actually were like buds, right? I mean, um, everybody was happy. Everybody was making a lot of money. And then when when deregulation came around, I guess you know everything. Everything, you know, went out the window. But I mean, it was good for America, right? I mean, the the, the cost of goods went way down, right? I mean, that that was the result. There, uh, there I, the freight uh, went down, and but there are winners and losers, uh, right? So I mean, one the big box stores, um, you know, Oregon, China won. 
um, workers in Mexico won because it was cheap to move goods. So um, you could buy a lot of them and source them far away. Um, you know, you had a competitive advantage. So, you know, Walmart, uh, for instance, can move, you know, huge amounts of, of stuff produced, you know, far away at cheap prices. And, you know, that's what happened to mom and pop stores. I mean, you go into a lot of small towns and, you know, all you have are big box stores now family run retail, um, you know, things like that. I mean, that's all, that all started with trucking deregulation. Um, you know, you, you, the regulation prevented, um, carriers from giving discounts to big volume shippers. Um, and so, you know, is that better? I mean, in some, you know, in, in some ways it's cheaper, right? We can all go get cheaper stuff. Um, but it undercuts right a lot. The what? I missed that last part. It undercuts you're, a lot of small business. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, um, so, I, I mean... The, the drivers seem to, I mean, kind of like the evolution of, you know, from this great job to just working for peanuts and how the industry kind of gets them to um, or condition them just with all the the transformation that went on and and the 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 shortage and the and the cdl mills and everything it just kind of created an atmosphere of well i want to know when was it acceptable to work for cents per mile and it's accepted not to be paid your 30 40 hours a week extra for just you know all the um detention time paperwork, fueling, maintenance, you know, all that stuff. When when did that become acceptable? Yeah, well, I mean, I think really the 90s are, are when, you know, this, this new model settled in. Um, you know, the 80s were very disrupted. You had lots of, um, you know, hyper competition and, and, and changes in, in who was hauling what. Um, you know, before deregulation, the 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 teamster drivers that hauled most general freight they were paid far in excess of of minimum wage um their time was used efficiently they weren't sitting unpaid at docks ever um they were you know they were earning good money and so their time was used efficiently it was once you got ran and they were they were operating in regular so um you couldn't uh send people out randomly point to point for weeks or even months at a time, which is what we have today. People basically living out of the truck that they, you know, um, they're operating right uh, for long periods of time. That just wasn't the case when you had, you know, unionized drivers who were working in terminal systems that were going back and forth on regular routes. They were home every night, every couple nights. Um, and so those issues really weren't, weren't, weren't prominent um, in the industry. Now, once you had, you know, deregulation and you could send people point to point, um, that became the cheapest way to move freight, obviously, and the most competitive way to move freight. And then the challenge became, how do you find drivers who are willing to do that, right? Um, who are willing to, you know, live out of the truck for weeks at a time. And that's why we see so much of, you know, um, you know, people, all, uh, you know, ask me about the shortage all the time. And they say, well, you know, what would it mean to get rid of, you know, the driver in terms of maybe a self-driving truck or something like that? And basically, I, I tell them, look, 
you have to really look at these organizations um, in total. They're not just about, you know, 33 or 35 cents a mile for the driver. They're a huge part of what these big trucking companies are, are recruitment and training systems, right? So, you know, most of what they do in terms of competitive advantage is how cheaply seat and how much can you squeeze out of them, right? How many, how many miles, you know, can you get them to run? And that's what these organizations really do. Well, I know people, the drivers and, you know, I don't have to tell you the sound are, are always, you know, wanting more and more hours. And basically it, it's because the wages are so low. Um, you know, you don't get paid for all the time. So you're always fighting for more, for more hours. And I know, um, you know, I know Alan, Alan's always saying, you know, get higher wages, you know, <laughs> don't worry about the hours. So, um, anyway, but, um, I'll go ahead, Alan. I don't mean to take over all this. Oh, no, that's okay. I think what you're getting at is, uh, well, I mean, first, you know, did what you were saying, Steve, about the deregulation. And so how, how, how did we get here today then? How did drivers become willing to go from being paid for, for all their time uh, to now being paid only when they're producing miles driven? I mean, because it, 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 it's still a big, you know, I, I brought this up, I mean, almost 20 years ago, I, I just put out this, you know, little PDF I called The Truth About Trucking, and the main thing I wanted to get out was about the truck, the truck leasing scams and everything, but there was, you know, there were some more things in there, and, and the, the cheap labor, and so why are we at where we're at right now where, because there still is a large turnover rate. Drivers keep coming in, keep going out, coming in, going out. In your view, how do drivers become willing to to go from that time you were just talking about to where we're at now, to where they they just want to keep get you know to get paid for the miles that they produce? Yeah, I mean it's almost like an accepted brainwash. Right. I mean, is, is that the simple answer? Has it just been accepted? I mean, I do. That is the end, you know, result of it, for sure, is that, you know, you have a complete change in the way that drivers understand the job. If if you were to take the, you know, typical driver in the 1970s and try to put them in today's system, you know, they they would quit in a heartbeat. Right. But but the first thing they would do back in the 1970s is they would have gone to the union and said, hey, this is what's happening. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the the first thing that happened was that, you know, was deunionization. I mean, and, and what you end up with is, you know, a lack of power among drivers. There's, you know, there's no system of, that can re- represent them. They're not organized. Um, and that, you know, and then you lose control of the labor market, training and other things. Um, you know, with, in the 1970s, when, you know, a, a driver in an urban area, now there were rural drivers, agricultural drivers who came who came in from other places and some who came in from the military, but, you know, nine trucking jobs were unionized. And when you came into them, you were trained by another union worker who said, look, this is how we do things. This is why we do them this way. Um, And, you know, and here's how we're going to do it. Um, Today you have CDL mills where the companies are completely in control 
of teaching new drivers, you know, what the industry is all about and why it should be that way. Um, and so they've got the upper hand. And so when you talk to new drivers, um, you know, they're going to talk about efficiency, et cetera, without any question. When I, when I started those interviews, you know, um, I would hear from drivers, well, I only get paid when the, when the wheels are rolling and, you know, all that stuff that we hear every day, right. That drivers say, um, and then I talked to older drivers and they'd say, you know, and, and those younger drivers would say, what I need is more miles. I need more miles. I need to, you know, keep moving. And the older drivers would tell me, look, the more miles stuff is for the birds, you know, because more mm-hmm. miles means you're just out on the road longer, you know, and I'm trying to squeeze all this time, you know, out of loading and all my personal time and everything else to run more miles, cheating on logbooks, doing all this stuff. You know, what I need is a higher rate per, you know, per hour worked. And, and to get home, um, you know, and so th- that de-unionization control of trucking media, training, right, a lack of a collective voice, um, you know, all of those things have, are, are what allow the companies to basically, you know, convince workers that, you know, if the wheels aren't rolling, I shouldn't be getting paid. And I mean, this is in a, and I believe, Alan, you've, you've written some stuff, right, about, you know, drivers being entitled to minimum wage 24 hours a day and things like that. I, I've seen some stuff you've, you've mentioned that, you know, this idea that, you know, you shouldn't get paid, you know, unless you're driving is crazy. I mean, the system is, is controlled by the company. You're out there for their benefit. You're sleeping at a truck stop because it's in their interest, not because you want to, you know, I mean, you should right. be getting paid for that time. Uh, well, but, that, that's, you know, that's, that's just the, whole, the furthest thing whole from point people's minds. Yeah. Like yeah. on that, um, we had a show, uh, Alan, when was it, about a month ago? And it, it referred to, it was a, a, a PAM transport case. And it said, and, and it was, this was never used, this law. I think it was Title 29-785. And the judge said that drivers should be paid for all 24 hours less their eight hours um, sleep time, minimum. Now, that's the minimum. A lot of people get confused and say, well, I don't want to get paid minimum wage. No, what it said was at least that in a 24-hour period, which which would eliminate, um, what do you call it, Alan, the starving out process. Like if, if, driver, if a company wants to leave you out there for three, four days because they're trying to get rid of you, they can't going by this law. But there's so many different laws. Uh, that kind of like overlap. There's no co- cohesiveness, right? I mean, um, really, wages, unless you have a voice uh, like the Teamsters used to be, uh, you really you just have a lot of different voices. And I think that creates confusion because then you have to get agreement with all drivers. And we all know that's not going to happen. So you get people that try to do something and they get out, they say things, they go do a, you know, a, a TV show or something like that. And then they get a lot of criticism because the other people don't believe in them. And that's the thing about a, a voice. Now, Ida, you know, they, um, they have a voice. Um, a lot of times drivers feel they're mostly for owner operators and, you know, the owner operators don't always agree with them either, but most of the time I'd say they're, you know, they agree with them. So I think that voice thing is, is the most, uh, the most important thing and to get down what you want, what is it you want, right? 
I mean, the voice is absolutely critical, and I, I think the minimum wage issue is 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 a great example of that. So, this law, uh, well, the the regulations, is the Department of of Labor regulations that say that a driver is entitled to 24 hours a day of minimum wage, um, they've been on the books for decades. <laughs> right. And right. You know, we're just now getting a case. You know, in the Pam case that that is taking this to a court and saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, we've got all these drivers. Now, you look at these training programs. This is, you know, one of the things that's really intensified and evolved over the time, you know, 15 years or so that I've been studying the industry are these training programs where essentially they're operating as a team, right? Um, now, that, right. that trainer is, if you look at the regulations for, um, for how they're supposed to observe the student and the, the times at which they're supposed to observe them and things like that, going to most of these companies, those trainers are continuously in violation of hours of service all day long from the, you know, within 14 hours of leaving home, they're in violation of hours of service. So that stuff is just, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't mean any, you know, uh, part of the law in, in that sense, but they're, you know, basically responsible for that truck and what that other driver is doing. Those trainees you know, oftentimes you'll see these programs that pay them, you know, next to nothing for weeks, sometimes, sometimes months, but definitely pay them below wage when you calculate it at the 16 hours a day rate. Um, and, right. and that, just to be clear, what the Department of, of Labor regulations say is, you know, the driver's entitled to minimum wage for 24 hours a day unless there's an explicit agreement between the carrier and the driver to exclude sleep time. If there isn't an exclu- you know, a, a specific agreement that says we're going to exclude sleep time, then the driver is entitled to 24 hours a day of minimum wage. Now, I mean, I know that dr- that sounds bad for you know minimum wage sounds bad for drivers, but when you look at it, um, you know these trainees should be making forty-seven, forty-eight thousand dollars a year um, as a minimum. Right. That should be the and I. You know what? That sounds like a good floor to me. <laughs> like, I think if you're spending, yeah. you know, yeah. two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time out in a truck, that should be the absolute minimum that you're taking home. And then, right. you know, that's what you should put a brand new driver in who's going to, you know, going to be sleeping out on the road for weeks at a time. That should be the minimum wage. And then an experienced and, driver who's, you know, highly productive should be building well on top of that. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's minimum federal minimum wage. But then, if you go uh, according to the state, then you have to uh, abide by the state's minimum wage. Um, so, I mean, there should be some kind of, you know, federal uh, blanket on that, where you know, make it, you know, fifteen dollars an hour or something, a minimum, and 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 then you wouldn't have all the different. But federal minimum wage is is the least. And um, the ATA really, I mean, I don't know if they didn't know about that law when it was brought up by that judge, but they weren't very happy with that ruling because that's going to, you know, <laughs> catch a lot of people. <laughs> but there's there's laws and rules like that, you know, uh, all over. I, I just got a message from Pat Hockaday. He says it's 784.41. So I guess he's talking okay. about... Um, uh, Title 29. Um, but talking about the CDL training. Um, well, first, here, let me, because uh, I was just, 
just real quick, Steve, now, how did you obtain your CDL? Did you, uh, did you go through a regular school, through a motor carrier school, or how did you get your CDL? I, I went to a, a company-run school. Yep, and then uh, and then you know a, okay. uh, a typical finishing program, you know, uh, which you know at that point you know it was it was two weeks. It's not these extended ones that you see now, um, you know, where you, where drivers are out for months at a time, you know, ten thousand miles, thirty thousand miles, you know, um, of of basically sub you know uh, minimum wage pay pay. Right. Operate what is essentially as like a, you know, one and a half person team, you know, they're not going to be, you know, fully productive, like two experienced drivers, but you know, that's what these companies are. You look at some of these companies, that's a huge portion of their trucks um, for, you know, that are hauling really cheap freight. That's how they're running. them. You know, they, they've got a, oh, a yeah. driver who's making a decent amount only because they're a trainer. Right. And then you've got a, um, and then you got a trainee who's working for peanuts, right? Um, and they're right. adding fifty percent productivity or whatever onto that experienced driver. Um, that's exactly. the that's the that's the bottom of the market that you know is going to set the rates. Um, and and with that kind of competitiveness, how could you maintain decent wages and working conditions for more experienced drivers? It's you know it's near impossible in, in most segments. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Donna. You're you're wanting to get into the lease purchase and everything. No, I want to get into the. I want to open up the line too for um, Desiree, because uh, now that we're talking about this CDL training, um, I I wanted to get into this um, the antitrust laws and the uh, uh, the blacklisting that's going on and and there's there's a lot of real really shady stuff going on and I know Desiree. Um, you know, knows people that are actually experiencing this, I believe. So, okay. so you're talking about the free CDL training? Yeah, which which isn't really free. I mean, you okay, know. Because I think, uh, well, both Steve and Desiree will have uh, some things in it. Okay, yeah, Desiree's being too quiet. Let's get her on here. And, and then there's some other things, too, I wanted to go back to, of course. But, uh, yeah, we can go over that here real quick. Kind of get Desiree here on the show also. So, Desiree, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. There's You're probably going to be a little background noise because I'm standing outside. But, um, yeah, oh, good okay. content We're so not far. Anything. Yeah, okay. Well, good show. <laughs> yeah, well, I, gotta, yeah, and I also want to get to, because um, this is, this is uh, going to be a, a pretty cool subject to get into, and I got something to play on this. But we'll get to the lease purchase agreement and misclassification a little bit later. But on on this free CDL training, I mean, it, it's really not it's really not free. I mean, so the question is, are the antitrust laws being broken? And you know, it's a it's a big concern that carriers, you know, offering these free school and free training, have, you know, quotation marks for new drivers, are creating a system which blacklist them from the industry should they not complete, you know, their commitment of a certain amount of months to stay with the carrier. So basically the carrier will train new drivers for free rather than you know, going to a CDL school and, and I can go on and on and on. But this behavior, you know, could violate antitrust laws. I know you and Steve have a lot to uh, probably say about this and we'll give Steve a break and Desiree, uh, Mm-hmm. What about this? I mean, there's there's a lot of misinformation out there. What kind of misinformation have you seen since you've been trucking 
that has concerned you and that especially those considering truck driving. We have a lot of people considering truck driving listen to the show as a job choice. Uh, what, what should they know based on uh, what you've seen in your experience? Well, they they should know that there there really isn't anything that's free. There's a lot of strings attached to all of these contracts. They kind of tweak them a little bit, even from since when I started in 2007, where there wasn't a there wasn't a as many company sponsored training that you hear about now, but there was the tuition reimbursement. So you would get like a high interest loan from some CDL mill. And um, the company would, uh, the, the CDL mill would allow these companies, um, these finishing schools to come like in the final weeks before you graduate and have access to these um, new drivers and tell them they're going to get their tuition reimbursed. And, but they never tell you how long it's going to take you to get that tuition reimbursed. And in my case, I've, <laughs> it, t- it took me till I was at my finishing school for them to say, the first thing the guy said was, if you're here that long. And I was yeah. like, that was so sinister, you know. What I found out yeah. the hard way, it was 125 a week, but they take out taxes um, per month. So I paid $5,500. So how long do you have to work at this low-wage carrier to get paid that back? And those are things that they don't tell you when that tuition reimbursement. So now with this company-sponsored training and like Steve said, you had to work there. You have to work there so much time to work it off. We had to do 80,000 miles in six months, and they said they would give us a bonus. But they tricked a lot of drivers and tricked them out of that bonus. They did all kinds of things oh, yeah. to trick you. So you wouldn't oh. you'd just be just short of getting that 80,000. And you were I, working I remember. such a low. Yeah. Yes. I remember, do you remember, you, you, you were one of the first people to um, get Alan's book, and that reminded me of that, um, didn't you have a chapter in there that was called The Big Sign-On Bonus Lie or something like yeah. that? It was like, <laughs> yeah. About the, the sign-on bonus, because that, the, little, the, the Truth About Trucking PDF, I think I did that, what, in 2000 or 1999? No, or something. we didn't get it out until like 2006 or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had it written by 2000, but I sat on it for six years. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the thing about that is, I mean, everybody, and Steve, I was like you. I, I grew up in household goods. That's what I did for most of my life. And, um I loved household goods. I mean, it's totally different. I don't know about now, but it was totally different from freight. And then I decided to uh, kind of give my body a break from household goods and decided to go to freight. And uh, it didn't take me long to figure that this was uh, this this freight business was a lot of scams going on. And and uh, and you know, everybody knew it. I could hear drivers talking about things. Uh, among themselves, but that's the problem. They were talking about it among themselves, and so when I wrote mm, the little book, yeah. I wanted that was those were some of the topics I wanted to get out publicly. And uh, so, I mean, Desiree, is it is it still going on? 
all this stuff? Well, yeah. They, I mean, they have, they have a, there's little variations at all these little training companies of whether it's the sign on bonus or it's some, there's, uh, there's all these little performance things, you know, if you get on this hamster wheel and do this and if you do this thing, but there's, they're always got the carrot dangling in front of you so that, you know, right right when you're at the finish line, you know, you don't get it. So, There's a lot of these kind of enticements, and they are all about getting more productivity out of somebody that, and that's where we kind of get the term churn and burn or meat grinder companies because people just get exhausted and tired. They're tired of being away. They're tired of thinking the next check's going to be the one, and then they just say, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of being lied to. But it really serves the company's interest because – as long as they can get more students. So the whole thing has been, you know, fashioned to be like this, the students are the industry and there's no incentive right. for them to retain you. They don't, right. they don't, um, they don't invest in experienced drivers, but trying to convince new drivers that are all bright and bushy tailed, when they're going to research these carriers, when I'm going on some of these forums and the, the targeting towards women right now is unbelievable. So it's getting very difficult to get them to read um, some of the content that's been there for a long time to say, don't go to that place for training. You're not going to make it. Don't go there. Um, uh, we've seen the blacklisting. We've seen the women getting put stuff on their record that they didn't do any, that they had a preventable when they didn't have a preventable, that they're not hireable anymore because they reported a sexual harassment. Um, Meanwhile, you have people that have actually done an assault against a female student get a verification of employment (laughs) immediately afterwards to go to another training fleet. Um, So we see a lot of that at our organization and trying to educate all these women. A lot of people are going to YouTube now. They don't read. They don't want to read blogs. They don't want to read books. They go to YouTube. They watch YouTube videos. And sometimes somebody will pose a question and you get 50,000 different responses that are all in conflict with one another. And for me, sometimes I'm just like, I can't even, I can't do this today. (laughs) I mean, that's interesting to hear because, uh, I mean, I would think with all the technology and the, the, the information highway out there and everything that you and I and so many others have been doing for so many years, I would think that there's so much. But, but Well, now I'm seeing that there's it is so easy much to information research. out there. Yeah. There's so much it's so there's so much research. information out there and this person says this, this person says this. Maybe now all yeah, it's too much. Newcomers don't know who to believe. Yeah. And that That's was true. part of the That's thing we true. were talking about with the misinformation. Listen, when we started we were the only ones out there saying anything and um we used to get threatened. What are you trying to do? Yeah. Uh stop people from entering truck and really, really scary um you know, mm-hmm. stuff was, was coming our way. There was no social media. It was just yeah. Alan and his website and the radio show and the blog. 
just trying to get as much out there. It was was in the very beginning, and like I said, everything I put out there originally years ago, everybody knew it was true, but nobody was saying it publicly. So basically I was the first one to publicly expose it, and, oh, man, yeah, we got a lot of the threats. It was horrible. They didn't bother me because my belief is truth is truth. So eventually – you know, it, it, it's going to settle, which it basically has, and now we're seeing that today. But Oh, yeah. I now everybody's what, talking about it. I find what you're saying, Desiree, but, interesting because now maybe there's too much information. I don't know. What do you think? There might be too much information, because, and, and there might be – the pace of recruiting has really picked up. Some of the companies that used to recruit – you know, you guys know I went to a company that had 100 new people every Monday. It was a total cattle drive. Oh. But oh, some man. of the companies were, um, um, you know, they'd only take like 20 or 10, maybe 40 a week. And the trainers would have the opportunity to like come and have a meet and greet, like a speed dating and get to know and whatever. Some of those companies have like upped the ante to compete with places like I went to, Covenant Transport. There is something there. Why do you want to have 100 people, new people every week? What we're seeing as well is they're bringing all these people to orientation, and then they start eliminating them at the orientation after they've bussed them there, paid for the Greyhound bus. You know, they've, put, they've invested money in getting them there to disqualify them. Sometimes they get them a bus ride home. Sometimes they don't. But what is the what is behind them doing this to the people? Uh, one company um, sw- having them switch over their learner's permit to a state they don't live in, and then saying you're disqualified and leaving them with this learner's permit from another state. And they're like, okay, now nobody will hire me because I don't live in Missouri, and I got a learner's permit, commercial driver's uh, learner's permit from Missouri. And nobody will hire me. So what? What is? I don't know, understand what the I don't understand that, that at all. From doing that from pe- to people, uh, but we're seeing this more and more. And some of these companies that were taking twenty or thirty people are now taking a hundred people. Like they're really like pushing it. They're pushing their own drivers to become trainers. They're getting the trainers are getting resentful. Um, they don't want to do it, which is where you start having these training problems where you have uh, the trainer never has a break. You know, they're barely done with one student, and there's another one waiting for them. And so for the women, um, it's, it, it can be incredibly problematic because there's not very many people that they can get trained with safe is what we're finding out. And they have to go through two or three trainers when there's already a shortage of good trainers. So the companies are taking they, – they have some incentive to do this besides just the cheap labor um, whether they get a headhunting um, credit or a, a, some kind of a, meet some sort of a quota to have this many um, people in the seats on orientation day, I don't know. But it does seem to be like a greed-based, you know, we brought, we did bring them here, and then they disqualified themselves, you know. And they don't pay for them to go back home, right? Some of them do, and some of them don't. Um, some we hear that some other company will pick them up from the orientation orientation center. Some of them share motels, like they'll have a couple different companies 
will do orientation and they house all of those students in the same motel. And some of those companies like prime apparently is associated with this other company called will trans. So what mm-hmm. I've been seeing on a regular basis is somebody got disqualified from prime because they had a hiring freeze in the state that the student was from, but they didn't tell the student before they brought him there or something like that. But this will trans that's associated with prime will like troll the student online on Facebook and say, we got a job for you. And then they do mm-hmm. the CDL thing and disqualify them, start sending them the tuition letter. You owe us tuition, even though they didn't pass school. So now they have, they owe tuition to a school they never passed. They don't have a job and they have a learner's permit from Missouri, but they live in Georgia. And now they're not answering their phone calls to get a Greyhound bus ticket home. So oh we're my. hearing this kind of stuff more and more frequently where they just, these people are totally disposable to them. Wow. And and on top of that, they might have even been blacklisted, and and of course, I think we're we're largely <laughs> exactly. talk, we're largely we're largely talking about these motor carriers, these mega motor carriers who have their own training school. But uh, Steve, what about you? Do you have any, any information on this? Why 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 would these motor carriers or these training schools spend the time and money to bus in all these people only to really? already have the idea of disqualifying most of them. Well, I, I think, you know, there are a couple things that, you know, a couple big things here. One is, is, you know, the internet and how information has changed, right? I mean, that, that's a, that's a huge topic. Um, and, you know, the, the bigger issue that it raises is it's hard to even keep track of these strategies, right? I mean, to even know what companies are doing out there. Now they've got, you know, lawyers and, you know, third-party consultants and others who are working with them that are, you know, figuring out the the pennies per mile that they're spending on all this stuff. But they're constantly, you know, evolving these, try to figure out how to keep trucks moving as cheaply as possible. And, you know, that's really what the market's all about now, right? So, you know, what are they doing in these training programs? They're, you know, they're looking for subsidies of any kind, right, that a worker can bring right. in with them that can help to pay for this. Um, they're doing anything they're they can to keep subsidies. Well, they're certainly, you know, saving money on, on what they would have paid to train a driver. Right. And then right. at the same time, they're restricting the driver from moving anywhere else. Right. And, and trying to keep that driver there as long as, as possible. So, you know, this stuff is, is constantly evolving. It's, you know, it's hard to keep track of. And what can what can drivers do about it? Except, you know, um, you know, learn from each other. But by the time you figured it out and you're finally, you know, able to educate people about it, that the the, uh, the strategies changed again. And and so, you know, what's happening with you know recruitment and training, you know, bringing in extra drivers. You know, um, a big part of it, right? Right? Is 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 cutting down their costs. So. You know, they get thousands of applications. You bring out hundreds of drivers. You don't do the background checks on them and all the other stuff that might exclude them beforehand. So you wait till they're actually there and they're captive, right? And then you have them sign a contract that, you know, they can't work for anybody else. And then you spend the money doing a background check or whatever it is, right? And then you, you've got people who, you know, don't even have a bus ticket home, right? Um, and and the, the question really is like, how do you get a handle on this stuff and, and you know, keep track of what companies are doing so that workers can make an informed decision, right? Right. Right. Well, you I know that. YouTube. Uh-huh. 
And you don't know well, what that, you're getting. You don't know if you're getting somebody who's getting a referral bonus, who's being paid by somebody to put out a positive spin on, on a training program. You know, now it's uh, if it was the Wild West before, now it's the Wild West times the Internet, which, which makes it, you know, just it, it, it just further disadvantages workers and gives companies, again, that, you know, uh, control over the hiring, the recruitment and everything else to their advantage. It's funny because I had a, a, you weren't here, Alan, and I uh, picked up the phone, and a guy called up, and he wanted to convince me that the free CDL training was good. So I told him, you know, basically, you know, about the contracts and this and that. Uh, Yeah, but, and then he, so finally I said to him, well, listen, it sounds like you've already made up your mind. I don't even know why you're calling Alan to ask him his opinion. I mean, I'm telling you what he would tell you uh, because we work together, but you've made up your mind. So good luck to you. Uh, You know, what can you tell people who have it in their mind? I guess they called up just to, you know, feel like, oh, he said it's okay, so it must be okay. But I I wouldn't tell them that it was okay. And, um, I finally said, well, good luck, and I hope it works out for you. I mean, what can you say? You know, same thing, Alan, with the, when we first started, we used to get a lot of mail um, in our P.O. box from people, and the stories were horrendous. I mean, Desiree, you were a story. that That's how we met. You came to us about things. And um, this one letter I was – Alan and I were actually talking about this letter today, and we'll talk about lease purchases later. Uh, but um, it was a heartbreaking story about everything this guy lost, and he had such hope. And um, I know you heard all the stories while you were out on the road, Alan, too, but this really got to me because I wasn't really into trucking at the time. I worked at a lab. We would get three, four, five hundred emails a day. Yeah, the emails were a lot. I'm talking about the regular when people would. Very beginning. Yeah, it was. It was really. It was really sad um, to 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 have to read all this. But anyway, I guess one thing I want to say: there's a lot of people listening on the line. I just peeked at the dashboard. So if you want to, I didn't say this earlier, and I usually do. If you want to ask a question, you have to press one on your keypad. And that kind of like puts a little notification up. And for everybody listening out on the Internet, if you want to ask Steve or Desiree something or Alan, um, you can call in 347-826-9170 and then just click uh, one on your keypad. And I'm sorry I didn't bring that up earlier. I don't know if anybody had questions or not. But um, anyway. Well, I mean, one thing, Steve brought up a good point, too, there. I mean, and, uh, and Desiree, too, we all kind of figured this in because of the so much information out there. And I think a lot of these people like that guy you were talking about um, are, are counter, trying to counter people like us who are trying to get the truth out there and, and not so much to put a, a black eye on the trucking industry. I mean, we all know, I mean, I mean, this country needs the trucking industry, but it's what they're doing to just good, decent people who are just trying to make a living and pay their bills and take care of their families. And, 
this behavior we're talking about, the free CDL training and how, what they do do to, to apparently still run a lot of lives by listening to Desiree, it's a little disheartening to hear, but Steve, Desiree, Desiree, you can go first. We'll go to Steve. So where does the antitrust laws come in here? For those uh, listeners new to trucking may not know what this is, antitrust laws are also referred to as competition laws, and these are statutes that are that were developed by the U.S. government to protect consumers from predatory business practices. So Desiree, you first, where does the antitrust laws come from? Isn't this a way that they, they could fight against such practices like this? What do you think? Well, I mean, Steve's the one that can answer for the for the scholarly reply, but for the the, the <laughs> layman's yeah, terms, this I'm is just, what I'll just, just tell you. I'm just going to get I'm just going to get a truck driver reply. Okay, the <laughs> truck driver response is this: is um, the, the some of these contracts on CRST is one, the big one, that has a clause in their contract. Uh, they give to these students. They catch them off guard, like Steve just pointed out. Um, get them to sign this agreement. They'll work for them for this certain period of time to work off this tuition. Then they get out there and don't realize that CRST is one of the worst companies they could ever have signed on to, and especially for women. So some of these people have to abandon their training because it's unsafe. They're scared to death. They're going to die. <laughs> um, sadly, uh, a, a lot of women, hundreds of women, have been sexually harassed. Their investigations go, it seems to be nowhere. Um, they don't do investigations. There's been sexual assaults there. So in these situations, these are people that had to leave their training for a really good reason. And they, they, did, they weren't trying to um, defraud CRST. And so they try to go on and get hired somewhere else. And they're told by other companies, Oh, you were at CRST. We can't hire you because you owe them money. And that is, right. um, it's just a mind blower that there's companies that are colluding with each other um, right. to say, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to um, hold you in this debt bondage for our friend CRST. Um, it's really um, kind of been a growing problem. Now I do understand there has been some companies that broke away in the last Years so that said, we're not going to do that anymore. We'll hire you and forget about the CRST. But there are a, a small group of them that stick together and are, and are doing this, and it's harmed a lot of people. So, how's the scholarly answer to this, Steve? <laughs> well, the, so the, the scholarly answer is that, um, you know, we don't know what what the law is going to say about about these practices but um you know it's very clear that there are again it, these are evolving practices in which the labor market participation of workers is is being limited um now whether or not that's legal or not i think you know i'm, I'm not an attorney but the the courts are going to decide this there is a court there is a case right now in in california um CRST is is um, is one of the respondents in that case, I believe, and they are going to you know uh, test whether or not these kinds of um, you know I I refer to them as debt peonage, 
uh, agreements where, you know, a worker is responsible for paying back training costs, has to work for that employer for a certain period of time. As, you know, we all know that's typically a year, but it can be longer. Um, and they can't work for anybody else while they're under that contract. Now, there are other drivers that I've heard from who say, not only was I not working for this company, you know, I wasn't working for anybody. I just owed them money, and, and they were keeping me from working as a truck driver because I owed that money. Um, you know, we're just maybe one step away from debtor's prison or something at that point where, you know, someone can prevent you from you know, engaging in an activity to support you, yourself and your family because you owe them money. Um, now, we've, we've entered, you know, territory that the United States probably hasn't seen in, you know, since, uh, since the Civil War or so, or not long after that, where, uh, you know, employers can, can control your activity in that way um, and, and to threaten you with, um, with the debt that you owe and prevent you from working. And I think, again, right. this, is, this just gets to the bigger point of what's happening labor market-wide and, and the need for, you know, some, some, the law, right, and regulation to, to put some kind of floor on this, on this behavior. And when you, when you go to some of these recruiting you know. Uh-oh, lost you. Lost you again. you free training and you owe them. You know, uh, new basically told hey, you've got this free gift here uh, of training, and then you just owe them a year of labor. Um, you know, but that, that's how far we, we've sunk in, in, uh, in this labor market is that workers feel they have a debt to someone who's training them to do a job for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, before we get into um, the lease purchase, I just want to make an announcement. And Desiree, um, we, we both know about this. Uh, this is a very, very good announcement. I don't know if you've heard heard about it yet, but uh, Judge Buckley denied retroactive preemptive effect to FMCSA's 1221 agency ruling. And mm, this yeah. is, uh, I, I just wanted to make this announcement because it's, it's really um, a huge victory right now, uh, besides the fact that they're not going to add it in the FUD bill. Um, anything that the FMCSA approved, but but what this means is denying retroactive preemptive uh, effect of FMCSA's 1221 uh, agency ruling, and that was the ATA petition to preempt the state of California for meal and rest break. And we had always said that that was just a foothold uh, in the door to try to um, uh, stop drivers from being paid for all time it was just a back door and they passed it so uh, four years ago just a little background four years ago the ata had been pushing hard to preempt state law by adding the denim amendment to five pieces of legislation and what this meant was that not only uh, would drivers not be paid for optional rest breaks and the ability to take a non-paid meal break if they wanted to but the denim amendment would also state that drivers would only have to be paid for their miles driven and not anything else, such as detention time. Well, this failed five times in legislation. The ATA then went to the FMCSA to pre, uh, preempt the state of California specifically for, um, uh, for so that they wouldn't have to uh, uh, give – an optional uh, paid rest break and an optional meal break. 
And the irony of all that is they had the same petition to the ATA uh, for them 10 years prior, and it failed. ATA said, you know, um, FMCSA at the time said, forget it, you know. Uh, this is a state labor uh, law and it has nothing to do with commerce. But anyway, uh, they ended up 10 years later passing it on 12-21-18. Now, then after a lot of confusion within the FMCSA itself, first saying these uh, preemptions would not be retroactive, meaning any court cases, you know, uh, that were going on in the past would only pertain to new court cases. But then they decided, like, I don't know, a month, two months later, that it meant, oh, yeah, it is pre preemptive and, and I mean, um, retroactive, and it will go uh, be enforced for any cases that are on the books. So um, what what this what we found interesting about this particular case, though, if you re- Desiree, did you read all nine pages of that case? It was the um, Ryan versus JBS. No, I didn't have time to read it all. Okay, well, well, read it because what unless we were missing this, but what we found interesting in this particular case. Uh, that the judge ruled upon is even though the case was about meal and rest break, the carrier still was fighting in this case not to have to pay detention time, paperwork, inspection, fueling, all the things that were in the Denim Amendment, which we said that this would be a, a backdoor uh, to the Denim Amendment. And and when we read that today, we're like, what? So, but they lost on that. Judge said no. That you can't do that. That's California labor law protecting uh, piecework, you know, wage employees. So as we said many times, this FMCSA ruling of meal and rest break that they granted the ATA was just a foot in the door for carriers not to have to pay drivers separately and hourly, in addition to their cents per mile. So the the judge ruled against the carrier. And um, this made them go along with California law, which says you have to pay piecework employers separately and hourly for all work. And this is actually what drivers want across the board. But I just wanted to, you know, make that announcement because that's actually a very, um, that's a big victory, not to let it go retroactive because the FMCSA said that, you know, all court cases uh, would be retroactive, and they ruled against it. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I think it's worthy of an announcement. I mean, we worked very, very hard for four years fighting that denim amendment, and and all the drivers called in, and uh, and and we beat it five times, five times. So, um, and you want to add anything to that, Desiree? I know I I kind of get carried away. I know it's a really uh, difficult topic for the drivers to um, understand um, the whole, how it affects them with the wage and meal or the meal and rest break. Um, There are some hiring freezes in California right now at several different carriers. And coincidentally, they are carriers that have been involved in these um, class actions against them to pay the drivers. I've had a lot of people call me and say, why why the hiring freeze? The other thing has to do with the misclassification um, issue and the owner-operators companies that push the lease trucks on 
on their drivers and stuff. So California is really a leader in modernizing the way that the drivers are paid. And I know it's a difficult um, topic. I, I don't know if you have a list of some of the companies that were sued that um, that you could name names in it. I know Knight was one. I know Werner was one. I know Covenant Transport was one. Swift. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, I don't have. A, I mean, there's a slew of them. I mean, I, that was one question I was going mm-hmm. to ask. I was going to ask Desiree if she had a list of, uh, or if she, you know, had a, had a list of. Uh, those are. Those are the ones I just know off the top of my head. A uh, Gordon, I think, was one who's not since not around. They're bought out by Heartland. Um, so there was a number of carriers um, affected, and that were lobbying. You know. This has been a big, long fight, and 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 then to have the FMCSA, even though it got it got um, voted down so many times, like Donna said, to have the FMCSA to come in and do this really special favor, really for the ATA, um, it was um, it, it spoke volumes to all of us that worked on on this. Um, mm-hmm. So this is great news to hear that this judge said no. Mm-mm. You're not going to do this, right? And you're not, and you still have to pay them detention, maintenance, and everything. And and we all knew that they were going to squeeze that in. With the meal and rest break, everybody is is a smokescreen, right, Alan? I mean, it's really about having to pay drivers for all time because they see the writing on the wall that this is, you know, this is coming. Uh, pay for all time, and if you can get something in legislation uh, that that could prevent that. But, you know, thank thank God, you know, the drivers were great. I mean, they signed all the stuff we sent around and um and, and it was it was it was wonderful to see the the um what do you call it, the support and, and everybody unifying to fight this thing. So, um I just want to thank everybody and uh but I know Alan, you want to get into misclassification and uh the lease purchase agreements, and I know um, you're big into misclassification, Steve. You, you've got a great article in the um, Atlantic. Yeah, that we'll was... get into that, and I'll hear. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I guess I had forgotten that Heartland had bought Gordon. I'm kind of glad to hear that. You know, I mean, I, I always say, you know, a lot of this has to do with these big mega uh, motor carriers. Um, you know, you can hear something good about. One driver will say something good about a carrier. Another one will always have something bad to say. Uh, you know, I'm I'm partial to Heartland Express. I drove for them. They were a great company. I loved Heartland Express. They were probably the best company I ever drove for. Uh, so they're you know they're not all uh, you know in all these schemes and everything and stuff. But uh, the really the 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 foundation of my uh, Truth About Trucking ebook almost 20 years ago um, was really this lease purchase agreement and, you know, it's just a scam is all it was. And it's a little disheartening to hear that, you know, it's still going on. And so it's worse. It's <laughs> worse. And, I mean, it's disheartening to hear, especially with all the information that's out there. And, uh, you know, also let me point out real quick, too, you know, you can st- uh, our, our guest, Steve Vaselli, uh, you can visit him at stevesheli.com. A lot of information on there. Again, highly recommend his book, The Big Rig Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. You can go to our show page and click on the name of his book. It will take you right to the order page. 
and well worth it. A great book. Uh, Donna Desiree, Donna Desiree, Desiree Wood, uh, president and founder of Real Women in Trucking. Uh, visit that place at realwomenintrucking.org. But yeah, I like to get into the, the lease purchase agreement and, and uh, I guess misclassifications at that time, although I just stuck with the lease purchase program. But before we do, I, w I want to play an audio. And this audio is from the recent congressional subcommittee hearing on highways and transit. Uh, it was called Under Pressure, the State of Truckee in America. This was a subcommittee hearing on June 12, 2019, just recently. And what you're going to hear, if you haven't heard it before, you're going to hear Congresswoman uh, Ms. Napolitano. She's going to ask the ATA president and CEO, Chris Spear, a question about the abuse of this misclassification and lease purchase agreement, specifically to California. You're going to hear Mr. Spear uh, answer. And then after his answer, you're going to hear Andy Young, who has been on this show. He's a, he's a truck driver and an attorney. And he's going to respond to Mr. Spear uh, after his answer. It's about, uh, it's about three minutes long, so just take a listen. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about the lease purchase, misclassifications, and get our guest uh, uh, thoughts on this. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen's time has expired. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Napolitano. Thank you, Madam Chair. I have uh, some concerns that are not being covered yet uh, with the growing uh, problem of misclassification of port drivers, especially in my two biggest ports in the area, Los Angeles and Long Beach, where hundreds of drivers are being forced by unscrupulous trucking companies into working as independent operators as a way for the companies to pay drivers below minimum wage, and then they deny them benefits, creating an unlivable wage for them and their families. Uh, these truck drivers are forced to lease trucks at prices they can't afford. Common example is a truck driver being paid 200 a day, but having to pay lease fees of 190 a day, leaving $10 a day. Some of the drivers are actually making less than the leasing costs, and they are in debt. And if a truck driver misses one payment, the truck driver is appropriated, taken from them. It is unthinkable that companies continue to get away with a scheme to underpay truck drivers who are hardworking people. Who, and so, consequently, when there's a shortage of truck drivers, you wonder why they leave the uh, uh, type of employment and go to somewhere else to get a better coverage for the families. Uh, Mr. Spear, what is the American Trucking Association doing to stop these bad actors? I appreciate the question, Congresswoman. Uh, you and I discussed this at length previously. I promised you I was going to go to the Port of L.A. I did that. I visited all seven terminals, spent a lot of time there looking at the situation. We've also canvassed our members on this issue. I'm unaware of any of our members that are abusing that. I do not deny, however, that it's not happening. And I think for any bad actor that is pressuring drivers into a situation that's not sustainable, that they can't afford the equipment, they're pigeonholed into it, and they can't get out, that's a situation that needs to be remedied. How widespread it is, I honestly, from that visit and those discussions, still do not have you know, a, a conclusive idea of how widespread this problem is. I think it's fairly isolated. Nonetheless, it's a problem. If it's existing, it needs to be dealt with. And I think working with our federal regulators as well as state um, def definitely need to coordinate this. 
and understand you know, how it can be remedied. It's Representative, every lease purchase program is, is that bad situation. It's not just in California. Every time a truck driver gets roped into one of these lease purchase programs where they're, they're promised, hey, we're going to give you keys to a truck, come drive for our company, the next thing you know, all the money they earn goes into the equity of that truck, and these poor people, these poor truck drivers are then saddled with not being able to take any money home to pay their mortgage or their families. If, I'd love to get ATA on record saying that they're against the lease purchase programs for the entire industry. I'd love to get that right now. Okay, so there you go. There was an ATA president uh, saying, uh, I don't know much about this. I, I think it's kind of isolated. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, every time I hear that, I, get, I, I just turn blood red. I, I, I just want to hit something. So, uh, Desiree, let's start with you. Your, your reaction, I mean, what do you... Uh, what do I just you can't even believe that he... He has the nerve. He has the right. nerve to say something like that. What a lie, basically. Um, right. <laughs> some of their biggest member. That's their whole model is about shove. In fact, C.R. England just had a huge settlement against them. Does he not read the papers? Um, that just well, happened. The settlement with the C.R. England lease trucks, but it's not even just the lease trucks associated with the carriers. It's these third-party leases that have partnerships, and and they're just their whole model is around getting you to pay for this equipment, working all the time, and you have nothing for yourself. Well, here, here, I'm looking at two right now. Uh, CR England to pay 37.8 million settlement over predatory lease to own. I guess, I guess Mr. Spear didn't see that. And um, or, not, maybe, or maybe they're not a member of the ATA. Oh, yeah, okay. right. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Knight <laughs> Swift agrees a hundred million settlement in misclassification lawsuit. And see, that's the whole thing. They're misclassified. And and um, uh, Steve, there's you know, been Prime uh, six with their success leasing program. Prime is, you know, they've they've perfected this this system, you know, and. I've heard Chris Spear at their annual meeting calling some of these horrible companies the rock stars of trucking, and they're actually yeah. the worst actors. Well, they're they're the rock stars of trucking because they bring in so much money through these scams, I guess, huh? Uh, I guess so. I guess that's what the 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 meter is for it. <laughs> well, Steve would Steve would would you agree that most Based on your, you know, your your research and your time out there, would would you agree that most leased on to carriers are misclassified, or or, or do some contracts offer the ability of being a true owner operator, even though they may not have their own authority? I mean, what what has your uh, research come up with? Well, where we where we've seen this really expand and and the practices, you know, get worse and worse is in areas where there's the least opportunity, right, for, for a true owner-operator to make a profit. I mean, they're in the some of the most competitive segments. Um, you know, you look at refrigerated, for instance, uh, it, it almost seems to be a prerequisite for uh, large carriers in that segment to, you know, use these lease purchase agreements, which are um, incredibly bad for drivers. In You know, so uh, – CR England and, and Prime have been, you know, taken to, to court over these. Um, over the time that I've been researching the industry, you know, when, when I first started talking to lease operators, 
they used to try to recruit him at six months, a year, you know, something like sometime around then. And basically it was a retention strategy where you'd have an inexperienced driver who now had a year under their belt and could move to a better, better employer. And so you convince them to become an independent contractor at that point. Now in, in the refrigerated segment, it's almost become the norm to try to get them into a truck right out of CDL school or, you know, three months or six months in, um, you know, we've got, we've got people who, you know, have never had any experience in the industry at all walking out of a, you know, out of their finishing program and, and signing a, you know, four-year contract to buy a brand new truck. Um, you know, right. which is, you know, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, um, but, but that's become the norm for some of these, these companies. Um, we are seeing some important challenges to those practices. So the, the CR England one was particularly interesting because that case was based on uh, allegations of fraud. Now, what, what we've seen in a lot of the other cases has been, you know, prove that they're misclassified and they're, you know, employees, and then they're entitled to minimum wage. Um, the CR England case, and that's what the, the Swift case was and, and a few others that are out there, including the, the Prime case that just went to the Supreme Court um, to decide whether or not the arbitration clauses would would um, would hold up, and you know that's the other important thing I think to to think about in in this area is, you know, the way that companies are able to keep these practices going, and to not have successful legal challenges, so that you know the ATA can can stand up and say, well, we don't know that they're going, you know, we haven't heard anything about them, um, you know, a lot of <laughs> with these forced arbitration clauses. Where you know, hell, if you got a problem with a company, well, we'll you know we'll go to an individual arbitration or something like that, and no one will ever hear about it. Um, that's why you know this arbitration issue is so important. Is that the companies would like this stuff buried. You know, they they don't right. want oh, yeah. this stuff going to going to going to court. Um, and so, you know, that's where I think it's really important to keep an eye on what's happening both at the state and federal level because that's what the industry is going to use is whatever level is going to work for them. So on the federal level, they want to preempt state law, and now in state, in the, with the states, they're going to try to enforce arbitration agreements, which they can't do at the federal level now after the new prime case at the Supreme Court. So they're going to go and try to find, create friendly state law, where they can make these individual arbitrations, um, you know, binding on on drivers, and they'll, you know, they'll they'll perform all their contracts and and legal legal work in those states which are favorable to them. Um, and so, you know, we, these practices are, are, you know, the norm in, in many segments. Now, port driving obviously gets a lot of attention. Refrigerated is getting increasing attention. But you see it, you know, it's also widespread in dry van as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the uh, well, well, Donna, just like you pointed out, the arbitration issue was just tested and it didn't fly. Yeah, um, well, you actually, um, we had Dominic and uh, uh, lead attorney, Jennifer Bennett on the show, and that after that, uh, all, all cleared the Supreme Court. They ruled that the transportation industry is exempt. Transportation workers are exempt from uh, forced arbitration in the FAA. But so, and um, I believe you wrote uh, an amicus brief on that. In in that case, am I correct? Desiree Steve? and I uh, cooperated on one. Yep. Okay. Uh, That was a huge, huge victory because I didn't think of that when you said a lot of these cases were probably hidden uh, in arbitration. 
uh, rather than come out. So now they're all going to come out because uh, that was a, a big loss for the for the uh, trucking industry to and and to have Neil Gorsuch <laughs> say all the things he did. I mean that was that was really a day of uh, of victory. That day. And you know what? And not just Neil Gorsuch, but in the recording, and you hear um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They're talking about Prime, and she talks about going on the Prime website and looking at it, and she's saying, "But this is just a big scheme." It looks like from their, you know, and they're talking about misclassified, and there's a little conversation about it. She says that on the on the recording, and Chris Spear didn't listen to the Supreme Court recording. Or read the transcript. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that just it's blows just an my mind. Incident, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, and she she made that remark on the recording about that it's it's like a bait and switch sort of thing. Um, and and then he has the gall to say that. Yeah, and he's not aware. All, all I mean, I think it's evident. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Uh, then, yeah, I think it's evidence they are not going to give up on this model. They are going to continue to dig in their heels around uh, these lease purchase agreements. Well, they make mm-hmm. such huge money. I mean, and years ago, it wasn't even a misclassification issue. It was just the – I mean, when when was the, the misclassification part of, of these – when did – that become prominent because I don't remember years ago that people were claiming to be misclassified. When did that evolve? Well, for, you know, I think what's happened is that Uh right has changed. And, and the way I describe it to people is that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing in some of these companies, or at least it doesn't seem that way. Where on the operations side, you got you know GPS tracking and Qualcomm's and everything else that have been there for decades, and so now you're you know minute to minute managing drivers and telling them what to do and trying to squeeze more productivity out of their hours and all sorts of things, and that's been you know going on for decades. Well, that's reduced the driver's control right and has increased the management of them in ways that just didn't exist before. At the same time, you got the recruiting side. And, and the human resources side of the business, promising drivers more and more control and independence to get them to buy the trucks. And so, you know, the, 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 they've basically been on a collision course with, with the law, which says, you know, if someone's an independent contractor, they've got to have control over what they're doing. And so it's taken a while to get these, uh, these you know, these challenges heard. So, you know, the Swift case uh, was almost 10 years in, in, in the making. Um, from when that was originally filed in 2009. Uh, there was another big case against Central Refrigerated that uh, went into arbitration, and that one was started around the same time. That that settled for a large amount of money as, as well. It's, um, you know, they didn't disclose the, the settlement, but in their um, – in their filings, in their federal filings uh, for stock for their stock, they reported that you know they had to set aside tens of millions of dollars for that. So, you know these these practices have been a problem for you know according to the you know law apparently for for decades, but it's taken that long to get the cases started to get them through the court, and there are plenty of techniques that that to sort of slow these things down. 
Um, and then they'll create, you know, new ways around the problem using third parties to lease the trucks to, to drivers and other things that are going to, you know, create another round of, of litigation. And I think that's, you know, that that's the, the state we're in right now is that, you know, these practices are being challenged in important ways, um, but the industry is not giving up on them. They're They're trying to find new ways to, you know, make them legal. And I think that's what you know, that's Chris Spears' concern. That's the ATA's concern is not whether it's, you know, right or wrong or good for drivers or anything like that. It's whether or not it's legal. Can they, can they take it to court or, better yet, to a private arbitration that no one hears about and, and get away with it? Or, you know, to settle cases for such a small amount of money that it just becomes the cost of doing business, you know, down the road for those thousands of misclassified drivers, you end up paying out a couple million dollars. And it's just the cost of, you know, the, the, the practices that, that make them money. It, it's just part of the business model, in other words, this, uh, because that mm-hmm. is a big money maker, the um, the lease purchase, huge money maker, and and no matter how many times you tell people, um, they still believe, because they want to believe, that it's going to work for them. I can make it work. I, I think you wrote something like that, that you you met a guy or something, and he said, "I'm going to make a million dollars. It'll work for me." Where, where did I read that? It was it you or somebody else? That said yeah, that, yeah um, I do. I do. Um, yeah, I start a chapter talking about a, a driver who you know was going to become a, a, a lease purchase owner, and you know had been on the road for nine months without going home, and you know, and and now look, you know, drivers will say, "Well, I was successful." You know, I I interviewed you know very experienced contractors who had started even before de- deregulation. Some of them, and said, "You know, I, I did it. You know, I was successful." Um, all I had to do was give up the rest of my life, you know, <laughs> and stay on the road because the, the terms of the contract were so were so bad. And that's the thing that I think drivers have to realize when they when they go into these things is it changes the way you see the work, right? And so, you know, when I talk to lease purchase drivers, they every time they went home, all they could think about was how much money they were losing now, right? So they they think right. every day I take off, you know, I've got that overhead over my head. And it's, you know, it's $150 a day or whatever it is that I'm going to be paying out when I'm not working. And that's exactly what companies want, right? They want you to stay on the road. That's, they want you there available to haul the loads. Um, they don't want to have to take you out of the hopper for dispatch and planning and all that. Um, and so, you know, not only do they, they get the cost, you know, offloaded onto you, um, but they get you to stay out on the road longer. And that's the first thing drivers do is they go from a you know, two weeks out, three weeks out rotation to a three weeks out, four weeks out or, or longer. Um, and so it's great. They're not having to pay right. that more experienced driver what's worth and they're staying out on the road longer. And you're going to get your truck back. <laughs> That's the, <laughs> because it's like an 80% failure rate. I mean, Alan did a survey in 2011, 3,100 people replied, right, Alan? I got it right here. I started a, I did, I did a survey. It was called the Owner Operator Lease Purchase Program Survey. I started it on November 9, 2009, and closed it on February 3, 2011. Uh, so uh, nearly 15 months, and I didn't know how it was going to go, you know. But I ended up getting 3,611 responses from professional truck drivers. I won't go through everything. And I also had comments. I had pro pro comments and con comments, but won't go through all that. But basically the way it ended was the results 
the um, the answers was was either good, fair, poor, or scam. And the way it finally turned out after nearly 15 months, it was 6% good, 13% fair, 9% poor, and 72% scam. And um, yeah, sounds like not much has changed, Don. Yeah, I sent you that link, Desiree, with all the comments and everything. I don't know yeah. if you have time to read I it. I tell you what, we're just a little under 30 minutes. Yeah. Going to have to wrap it up. Let me try to get some questions in here for some callers. Uh, first one up from uh, from we'll make it kind of quick from uh, Minnesota, area code three two zero. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, good evening, guys. Hey. Good evening. <laughs> Hi, Donna. <laughs> How you doing? Hi, who's this? This is your old friend. This is kind of like a class reunion. This is Jason Haggard. Hey, Jason. How are you? I haven't talked to I'm you in ages. I'm doing all right. Well, I, well, the, yeah, that little baby is now 11 years old. So, um, Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, time went by fast. Um, actually, I wanted to hit on a couple of things. I had to calm down before I actually put myself in queue because the, the mention of Chris Spear just kind of mm, – we know there's right. no love lost between me and between between himself and I. Um, for the whole deal with him saying that uh, he doesn't know of this or he he knows it happens, but not on a large scale. You know, I'm going to go on the record. Nobody else is going to if, if nobody else wants to put it out there, I will. He lied to that committee, flat out. Lied oh yeah, and Andy he Andy Young and he he wasn't called on. Let me just say that re, that recording. He he kind of stood up out of anger. Because really, he spoke out of turn. I mean, he was, yeah, he was just replying because his blood, blood was boiling hearing that. So, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, we, was, we, it was great. No, yeah, there were numerous individuals. I, I know you guys did, I did, several. I mean, there had to have been, you know, at least 100 different people sent him documentation of this stuff going on. So he can't deny it. <laughs> but, right. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on real quick too, there's two, there's two other things. The one with the, with the lawsuits, with the training purposes and stuff, you mentioned CRST and some of these other companies. And I just had this debate with somebody on, I believe it was Landline the other day. And the comment that was made was, well, maybe if some of these female drivers just can't, maybe some just can't hack it because the, dri- or the trainer was talking to them like one of the guys. And it really mm. ticked me off. Because right. I'm sitting here thinking about this. It doesn't make a difference if you're training a female, a male, a kid. I don't care who you're training, what you're training in. If you're training for a job, you'd be a professional all the time while you're training. Period. Mm-hmm. That's all it comes down right. to. You don't make snide remarks. You don't make sexist comments. You don't do any of this stuff. Because when you're in that truck, you're a trainer, you have a trainee, that's your workplace. Period. Exactly. That's all there is to it. That's your workplace. Be professional. You know, that's what it comes down to. The other thing about the le- and the last thing I'll touch on is the lease purchase deals. Okay. I'm hoping that somebody out there is listening right now that is thinking about doing a lease purchase deal. Okay. Lease purchases can be okay, but there are certain rules. If somebody offers you a lease purchase and they will not let you take, take a copy of the contract and you tell them, Hey, can I take this home? I want, maybe I want to have my attorney look it over. And they say no. Run away. Don't exactly. go good, back. Good point. Run out the door. The other thing is. Sure, if you're not trying if, to hide if, anything. Yep. 
The other thing is that the carrier that you want to lease this truck onto either owns the truck and or uses a third-party vendor which they have interest or shares in, and you can find which this most information. Which of them do. Yep, and you can find the information by, by you know just by doing you know uh, taking doing your own doing your own research. Do the research because you'll find if 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 Dart is tied in with highway sales, you'll find out if um, if say if Swift is tied in with a Freightliner dealer down in down in Phoenix somewhere. Okay, you'll be able to find this stuff out if they're tied in. Run away. Well, that's, you know, Jason, that's why I know, you know, Alan pushes online a lot, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing, Mm -hmm. and in 10 years. That's the thing I was going to touch on. Yeah. Okay, but in 10 years, I mean, we don't get any, you you save a few thousand dollars. I mean, it can anywhere be, depending on the truck, between 2000 down, 10000 down, whatever. It depends on the truck. But when you're done with that final payment, you own the truck. It's a, like a one-page lease or something. I mean, it's ridiculously easy. And 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 it's yours. And you, you try – we've looked. We've had other people want to advertise their, their leasing stuff with us. And then once you look at it, it's like – well, no, you know what I mean. So, and, um, and that's the last thing I was gonna. That's the last thing I wanted to touch on. I wanted to say it real quick. Was um, basically this is the best way for people to remember it. If the carrier is carrying the note on that truck, okay. If they're carrying your note, you're cutting your throat. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down that's to. That's a good. That's a good you little line there. You, like, yep. You don't want the carrier carrying a note on your. You don't want the person that's controlling your freight. Car- controlling your truck and carrying a note on your truck because then they control your ability to create revenue to make the payments on said truck. Exactly. Well, exactly. Good point. Hey, I appreciate it. Let's go. um, Well, I'm kind of running out of time. Steve, real quick, uh, two or three bullet points. Uh, It's just a fantastic book you wrote. Um, Two or three bullet points or whatever. What, what are, what are you, what, what would you want everyone to to get out of your book? Two or three main main points uh, that you would like them to get out of it. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the first would definitely be about those lease purchase agreements, right? And uh, <laughs> and and you know, a leaser leaser beware. You know, I, I would I would say you know if if deducting the payment out of your revenue for you. If you're not, if you're not going to check to somebody um, on your own, that, that, that's a sign of a problem. Um, you know, if you, if it seems too good to be true, it, it probably is. The, the second thing is really that this is, you know, not about any particular practice, the problems that we're talking about. It's a, it's a matter of ultimately of, of power. Um, because, you know, the, the particular practices are going to continue to evolve to the benefit of, of the companies and they, and they can, you know, they can create a new scheme, you know, another way to get around the law, et cetera. And so the, the key is really about building, you know, sustained power where workers have accurate information. Oh, I lost that last sentence. Uh, yeah, you're breaking up. 
and, and the ability to influence the policy that is going to, you know, set the floor. We got that, and that, that's really the third thing that we really need to focus on. I, I hear a lot of drivers say, well, you know, that driver had, you know, made a dumb decision to purchase or to go into that training program or whatever. It doesn't affect me. Right. These are labor market problems. And so we've got to have those experienced drivers with We've got to be willing to stand up and say, hey, look, it's not just bad for that worker. It's bad for all of us that these taxes are happening. Right. I, I think the the having a a, a voice, yeah. like you said, with the legislation, I mean, we've, we've done good. And when I say we, you know, I'm talking about all the drivers. Um, they've done good, you know, calling up their – uh, Congress people and you know senators and congressmen and and letting their voice heard. They put thousands of comments on FMCSA, which you know I wonder sometimes you know how how good that is. But um, I I think you know having a, a a voice like you said the the power of the labor market right now is definitely in favor of the um, of the carriers and. Uh, you know, what do you do, right? I mean, it's tough if you don't have a voice, a, a unified voice. And they're trying out there. They're trying. They're going out. They're they're doing slow rolls and all kinds of things to get people to listen. But you you have to have a unified uh, message also. And uh, it's do, rough. How do they get that, Steve? Well, Uh-oh. I think, you know, more, more these kinds of conversations, right? And I think, you know, drivers have got to – you know, stay tuned to these, participate in these, um, and and bring it to the attention of of their elected officials. Right now is is the you know the the bottom line, and I, I think it's really important for drivers to realize there's a lot happening right now that's important. That 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 you know the fundamental issues we've been talking about are actually being debated. Right, we have congressional hearings that are talking about misclassification. That are talking. You know, we have these big lawsuits around, uh, you know, minimum wage and things like that. Um, there's a lot of attention right now, partly because of self-driving trucks and other stuff, which, you know, way far off, and, you know, don't, don't switch your career, um, right. you know, but it's, it's putting attention on a lot of the, the bad practices and it's time for, you know, the drivers who are out there every day to be making those calls. And I know, I mean, and for programs like this, I mean, this is great. Um, and I've got to say just, you know, because I haven't, I haven't yet. Um, Alan, I, I read your, your, your book back in 2006 or whatever it was. I learned a tremendous amount from it. Um, and so I've, I've been learning from your work and Desiree's work, um, you know, uh, right along the way. And so, you know, those voices get through, they, they really do. Um, and they're not going to dominate the way that the ATA can dominate in certain ways, but you're right. The truth it has a has a way of sticking, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It just needs to you yeah. know be continually pushed in these in these debates. Yeah, we need to have more of them. Um, I mean, right now they've got the detention time thing and the teenage driver thing, you know, for comment. There's so much going on. No. Uh, you have to get involved, you know. Yeah, and uh, well, I appreciate it, Steve. I tell you, I just uh, really impressed and admire what. Uh, the commitment that you did to uh, to write this book, and again, I was and go in the truck. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. The, the commitment. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think I, I would have done that, but uh, 
I really admire that, and it's a great book. I just even if you've been in trucking Thank for you. years, you're going to learn from it. I would just uh, click on that link in the tr in the show and and get it. I, I really appreciate you being here. And, and Desiree, we're winding down here, but I want to get in. Uh, you do such great work, give out such great information for people looking into the trucking industry, especially for women and realwomenintrucking.org. What's going on with your organization? What's new? What's happening? I have the um, list in front of me. You have the list, Desiree? Yeah, I don't have the list in front of me. I'm out in public right now. So okay. I'm to keep my mouth down. But, uh, okay. uh, well, we have a lot going on. We have, a, have had a lot of distress calls in the last couple of months from women in various stages of their training. Um we're trying to help them the best that we can. We direct them to the EEOC. We direct them to lawyers. We reach out to lawyers who are representing women to give them some insight on other cases that are happening that are very similar to the ones they're handling. Um, so they, a lot of it uh, that I find that I'm doing is just connecting the dots of people to let them know, hey, this, this lawyer is working on a case with this carrier that's almost just like the one that you're working on. You know, look at this. I mean, I, some of these lawyers are like, oh, my gosh, this is like <laughs> the same situation, you know. I had a conversation with the EEOC um, yesterday. They would love to come on our uh, Facebook page and do a live and start educating the women directly in trucking on how to report awesome. things properly. Yeah, so we're going to start working on that kind of stuff. We're moving the Queen of the Road Awards to the Great American Truck Show this summer. But I really encourage the veteran drivers, instead of pointing the finger and making fun of these students, realize that they're in and out of the industry so fast. And then a new batch of new ones are in. Um, it, it does hurt them. It does affect them because they don't even know what cheap freight um, means. So if, you, if you're an owner-operator that says you're being a, a affected by cheap freight, then you should get engaged with these students and understand what they're going through because they're being used, basically, and they don't even know right. they're and being it's used and the they're gone. Cheap. Yes. I yes. Mean, so it that, does affect them. You know, them. That's, that's, that's a question uh, I, I, I want to ask Steve. I know, Alan, we're getting to the end, but uh, I have we, to we, ask. We've got about 10 minutes. Okay. I've got to ask you this. The cheap labor doesn't that affect the rates overall, especially to the owner-operators? Oh, a absolutely. There's no doubt about it. You know, the, the okay. way that companies get, you know, that the way they compete is by being cheaper in terms of, of labor. You know, they have, they have some scale in terms of buying equipment and, and servicing equipment and things like that. But the key is is to get new cheap drivers in there who are willing to work for two thirds of what experienced drivers are, and, and that's going to cut the bottom out of everybody else. And that's been going on in trucking for you know since colonial times, um, with the exception of under regulation when and, and where unions have been have been strong. That's what happens is you compete based on how cheaply people will work. Okay, because Alan put a post up I don't know about four months ago. And it said that owner-operators, you know, um, the mega carriers define the freight rate, something like that he wrote, um, with cheap labor. It was similar to that. And, the, yes, yes, that was the way he wrote it. And 
these owner operators got very insulted. No, we set our own rates. We don't, you know, and I think they missed the point that if the company drivers are paid what they deserve, then the rates will that will reflect in their uh, rates that they can, you know, get while while they're trying to make a living. I mean, it just. You know, I, I couldn't believe that that they they didn't see that. But you you would agree then that that's true. Yeah, I mean, the way economists describe it is they would say uh, it's a trucking is a mature market. It's it's nearly perfectly competitive in some segments. Meaning that, you know, if anybody goes cheaper, then it's going to affect the next rate, right? It's going to affect what's available. Now you have some niches, you know, where. You might have specialized equipment and things like that where they're, that just simply aren't as competitive because there aren't as many people who can haul that load. But if you've got a refrigerated trailer or dry van, even some flatbed in, in some places, you're going to be subject to whatever the market's willing to pay. Right. Right. I mean, and it's just like kind of like um, logic, really. But anyway, I just had to get that in there because it was um, – hey. And I want to say one last. I want to say one last thing to drivers that are listening out there. When we listened to that recording with um, Napolitano on there, and and she really went and talked about the port drivers, and we all know that this is going on not just with the port drivers. It's going on with the over the road companies. It's really up to all of us to educate our own representatives where we live to tell them, hey. What she said is happening in over-the-road carriers. Let me tell, please let me tell you about it. Let me educate you about it, that we need you to know this is not isolated to the port of Long Beach. Right. right. Well, California is trying to do something about it with their ABC test. And Andy kind of touched on that. He said this is happening everywhere, didn't he? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. But go ahead, Donna. No, I, I was just going to say, California, once again, you know, took the reins and had the ABC test, and they're saying that, you know, if you're classified um, as an independent contractor um, and you're a lease purchase, you know, person, you're really an employee if you don't meet these, um, meet the criteria. And when the criteria basically, you know, says they're an employee and I know a lot of owner operators are upset because they think they can't go to California now if, if they're leased onto a carrier, but that's not what it says. There's nobody out there, you know, stopping you saying, how are you, you know, uh, classified it, what the carriers are worried about. If they have to have them as an employee that then they'd be, have to abide by California law meal, rest, break, pay for all time, and that those those lease carriers could then sue them. That's really what the fear is. Am I right? That's right. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I just quick, want... quick. <laughs> okay. hey, on a lighter note, we'll <laughs> wrap it up here, but uh, Steve, I understand you're heading to China or you've been to China or what's going on? Is that a question I can ask? Yeah, so I've been um I've been working on um you know self-driving trucks and oh. you know the impacts that that they might have, you know, uh anyone who's interested can get through it get to it through my website or um we have a a great interactive kind of summary of it at driverlessreport.org. 
Um, and there I basically, you know, what I did for that project was I went out and I talked to the developers who were actually building the trucks. I, I rode in some of the self-driving trucks and um, saw, saw some of the remote piloting. Uh, oh, we lost you, Steve. And so, you know, uh, what I did there in the report is lay out basically six different scenarios for how the technology that's being developed could actually be used. And then, you know, talked about some of the impacts to drivers who could be um, could be affected by it. You know, the bottom line is they're way far away from being deployed. Um, but it is time, I think, for drivers to get involved because formulated. You know, the, um, like I was saying about companies being devoted to, you know, recruiting and training labor, these big carriers can't wait to get rid of their drivers. So, um, right. You know, they're they're going to push policy and other things that are favorable. The time when drivers need to, you know, be talking about the impact of you know of the on their work and and their communities as well. Um, we're still a ways away, but important stuff in, in policy is when it's time for drivers to definitely be heard. Right, I saw that on your website. And what is that uh, other website you just said? Driverlesstrucks.org. Uh, dr- driverlessreport.org. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Driverlessreport.org. Okay. Yep. And th- you can download the report, but there's also an interactive summary there where you can see how the scenarios sort of look, you know, different, different ways they could be used, exit to exit, self-driving with human drivers on either side or remote piloting or, or the different things that the developers said they were working on. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. All right. I'm, I'm going to look that, look that up. That's fascinating, but... Uh, I know that's something that's coming down the road, maybe, uh, years from now, but it's going to be interesting to read. Hey, I time grinding out. Man, I really enjoyed this show. This has been a great show. Desiree Wood of Real Women in Trucking, realwomenintrucking.org. Visit that. Steve Vaselli at Steve, uh, website stevevaselli.com. Check out his book, The Big Rig Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. The link is in the show page. Desiree, Steve, really appreciate it. Uh, keep up with us. Let us know what's going on. It's been a great show, a lot of information. Uh, Donna, real quick, closing, anything you want to add? No, I, I did the announcement before. Uh-huh. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. Right. Well, that'll do it this time for Ask the Trucker Live. Thanks, everyone. Sorry, couldn't get to everybody. I uh, had just a, a, lot of, a lot of listeners on here. I hope you enjoyed the show. Appreciate you joining your uh, spending your Saturday evening with us. We'll do it again next time. On Ask the Trucker Live, we'll leave you with a song from fellow truck driver Brad James with Detention Time. Be safe out there. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.
been backed up to the stock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time I left my Like nothing's gonna go my way I've been sitting at the dock all day Just watching the other trucks roll away I've been sitting at the dock all day Just wasting time Looks like nothing's gonna change Yeah, I'll hold it. 